0: Hey everybody. Welcome to Draft Politics episode 22. And we're going to skip the normal introductions cuz we've got breaking news. We got him. We got He's him. He's guilty. He's going to resign. Unbelievable. Of course, we're talking about Chris Collins, public of New York. Right. 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 What would you think we we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Whew. Oh. Whew. Emotional roller coaster for everybody right? listening. And uh, this is Steve, of hey. course, and with me as always
1: is EJ. We're here today at Old Irving Brewery. There's a little bit to cover.
0: Yeah, this might end up being a longer than our usual long episode, because uh, impeachment has many things going on right now, so I, I mean, last week we talked extensively about
1: what could be in the phone call and the whistleblower report, and we're speculating wildly and, you know, looking at all the reporting.
0: And it ended up being a much better story than we right. could have made up. Well, and we recorded that, I think, on a Monday, and then I didn't get the podcast out until that Tuesday afternoon. Right. So, it was all speculative, what would happen, what's going on with impeachment or whatever, and then, like, that Tuesday is, like, when everything started yeah. to come out. and naturally. Yeah. So, uh... We're going to catch you up from then and talk about as far as we've seen today. You know, we checked in this afternoon a little bit. It seemed like there's even more stuff coming out. Yeah, it's a
1: constant check-in now. It's a stream of information. But let's talk about Chris Collins for a second okay? because it's such a good story. All right. It is such a good story. I know we're just teasing everybody at this point, but it's important, everybody. He's a
0: Republican from New York. He's a role model now. He He was, was the first person in the House to endorse Donald Trump for president. So we knew we had great judgment. Right. And he saw a kindred spirit.
1: <laughs> and he's uh, about
0: to plead guilty to some charges of insider trading. Yeah, and he, apparently it was he fed some non-public information to his relatives so they could get out of a uh, bad deal on biotech uh, on biotech yep. uh, and so yeah, so he's he sounds like he's going to jail. We don't know officially what the, the outcome of it is, but he's definitely pleading guilty.
1: Yeah. And good enough that he's leaving. Good enough that he's leaving, yep. at least as a start. So Just he's going to be, what, the 21st House Republican not running for yeah. re-election? Yeah,
0: so that's a huge amount of Republicans who aren't running for re-election. And a lot of those are from Texas, which uh, we've Six talked about seven before.
1: Yeah. now. So, looking good. Whew. So I guess the uh, swamp is being drained. Strangely, by the Department of Justice, which, you <laughs> know, they don't seem to be... Working our favor in other places, but, you know. Yeah, I wonder if he was just holding out. Could be. Holding out hope. Yeah. So that's the Chris Collins situation. Uh, so sorry to see you go. Except that we're not. Except that we're not. Uh, and we'll see what happens to his district, which, you know, he won comfortably but not overwhelmingly. Yes. I think in the last in the last election. And
0: those charges had already started to bubble up at that point. So. Yeah. So that wraps that up, which gets us to everybody's favorite topic of the week, impeachment. Impeachment. It's amazing
1: that we've gotten here. And and you and I have both uh, talked about and maybe complained a little bit and, and kind of tried to understand all sides of Nancy Pelosi's opinions about impeachment and not wanting to do it and slow walking everything and everything's incremental and... We're not going to say it really is. And what's her relationship with the committee chairs? But last week, with the release of that transcript, she pulled the trigger. That's right.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think it's important to, like, take a step back for a moment and talk about how all this works, how impeachment unfolds, just so you know where we are in the whole grand scheme of this. So the first thing that happens is an impeachment inquiry. Any type of... um, Subpoenas or whatever have a, a higher weight as far as courts are concerned um, in the case of impeachment. And that's sort of the now what's being applied to all of the investigations going on. Uh, and apparently those investigations are going to be going on across six different committees. So it's not right. just one committee doing it. There's not going to be a select committee that would be in charge of all of this. It's just being done in the committees that are standing. Um, from there, whatever impeachment articles that they come up with, basically the charges that they want to file against... The president, Uh, those would be voted on and they'd be voted out of committee. And my understanding is the Judiciary Committee will be the one that basically handles the the final compilation of those articles of impeachment. Yes, that's right. However many there are. Yes. And and Jerry Nadler is the head of that committee. He's been one of the people driving a lot of this to some consternation from Pelosi, it seems. Uh, But yes, he would be taking the charge of that. If that gets out of committee, it then goes to the House. Then the full vote of the House would then push it on to the Senate. So at that point, he would be convicted of
1: impeachment. Right, and those are all simple majorities, and I think that that's important to note. So, you know, you just need a simple majority in the committee, a simple majority in the House,
0: whatever 218 votes, to essentially indict.
1: Yeah, and a good
0: way to think about it, yeah, is that it's like a grand jury. It is fairly easy to get an indictment from a grand jury. Um, the defense doesn't have the same protections as they would in a in a full on uh, court case, uh, things like that. So that's that's where this starts. And then it goes to the Senate uh, in the Senate. Then there would be a trial um, and there has been much discussion about whether Mitch McConnell would even allow a trial to happen. Well, part of today's news is they has said he has no choice but to hold a trial. Now, why he says he has no choice. Why he's on board this, why he's not blocking it is a little unclear at this point. Um, The inference, though, is that there are at least a few
1: Republicans who would vote to have the trial. Yeah. So he doesn't have the votes to stop it. So there'd be a majority of senators who would want the trial to go forward. Yeah,
0: that's a very real possibility. It may very well be that McConnell's just like, I'm tired of standing up for this guy and let's just see what happens. Yeah. or, you know, who knows? Maybe the pressure of Moscow Mitch has finally gotten to him. I think that rolls off him like water off a turtle's shell. You would think. <laughs> and, uh, and that trial is presided over by? Yeah, uh, by the chief justice. Right? Uh, so John Roberts would be the uh, who preside over it. The House would be acting essentially as the prosecuting attorneys in the case. They would present the evidence. And it's worth remembering that all of this stuff would be in public Sessions in the yes. Senate that would be broadcast presumably everywhere. So right, just on C SPAN. C SPAN <laughs> 2. Right. C SPAN 8 to the Ocho. Yeah. Um, just going to make that joke. Uh, but yeah, no. So all of that would be, all of that testimony would all be put out into public in a very clear and obvious way. So I think yeah. that helps to actually make that case if it comes to that point. And wh- one of
1: the things that's important to note is that. The jury, in this case, the Senate, and you have to have 67 votes to convict, they vote on each of the articles. So if there are two articles of impeachment or three articles of impeachment, they will vote on each of those separately.
0: Yes. So. And then if they convict on any one of them. Right. Then Trump is removed from office. Right. Um, And at that point, presumably, then Pence becomes president you know, but who knows what happens between now and then, and what negotiations might happen, et cetera. Yeah, and I. Um, one of the things that's going to be an ongoing topic of debate is how the how much how broader how narrow should those uh, articles of impeachment be? Do they just focus focus on Ukraine? Do they talk about emoluments? Do they talk about uh, one of the things? Actually, um, I was at a uh, drinking liberally national conference uh, just this weekend, and uh, Jerry Nadler stopped by to. To chat with us, and um, he had talked about the possibility of uh, it basically it, obstruction of Congress is one of the charges that they had put forward because of all the blocking that they've yeah. had on all these different investigations. So and that
1: has precedence in 1970 in, with Nixon.
0: Yes, so um, there's a lot of room for, especially I think that charge, um, but it's just a matter of strategy. Is what's going to be most likely to meet with some success, both in the Senate for conviction if that's possible or at least in the public vision of all of this and and whatever that effect that has on votes.
1: So what do you think? I mean if you were if you were putting this strategy together, Steve. Yes. What would you do?
0: Would you do lots I of articles would, or a few articles? I would somewhere in the middle to be honest. Like I wouldn't just keep it to Ukraine, but I would basically focus on obstruction as sort of the main thing so there'd be Obstruction of justice charges around the Mueller probe. There'd be the obstruction of Congress. um, And then there would be whatever comes up out of the Ukraine investigations. I wouldn't touch emoluments because I think it's a little esoteric and I think it's a little harder to make the case for it. And I think it might distract from the broader set of things. Another thing that hasn't been talked much about is, hey, turns out that maybe uh, there's human rights violations going on at the border around, you know, asylum seekers. And that's another thing that could be brought up in impeachment which I think is valid, but I think it'll be harder to... I think it's going to be harder to make that case and will be a little more divisive in terms of, like, the final clauses.
1: Yeah, and I think there's this, in my mind, a question of if you think that there is any chance of a conviction in the Senate, that changes the strategy somewhat. Yeah. But to me, there's a very clean closed narrative around what's happened with what we've seen with the Ukraine and what we're learning about with countries like Australia and we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah. Where I think it's a very a very clean and easy to understand narrative about abuse of power and trying to get the government to work on your behalf to you know, win an election.
0: Yeah, we do We do need to be careful, I think, to avoid the sense that we're just throwing everything against the wall and hoping that it'll stick. Because I think that makes it easier for Republicans to say, oh, well, it's just a witch hunt. It's just a smear right. job. They're just throwing everything out there. None of this is real. But if it's just like the things that are real easy to make a clear case on, I think you've got a better chance. Also, yes. it's worth noting, they could impeach on something else later if they wanted to. Sure. Plenty um, of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I was talking to some people this weekend and they're like, hey, let's just impeach him once every month. You know, just (laughs) throw something else out there because we've got enough to keep us going. Like, you know, that's probably a, a little extreme. But I think it is, too. And,
1: you know, I think we also have to balance this idea that we're doing our jobs. Yeah. We meaning not me. I'm not doing my job. But the Congress is doing their job and not. Just trying to be politically annoying. Right, right, right. And so, you know, make it crisp, make it focused, get it done. You know, if it's not going to pass, if it's not going to go through in the Senate, then wrap it up in January. Yeah. Get everything out into the public domain. We can keep coming back to it. You know, if he's going to get a win in the Senate out of it. I'd rather that win happen 700 news cycles from November. Well yeah, yeah. for where sure. I'd much rather do it sooner. The things that can be brought up, can, we can keep bringing those up. Those can stay in the public consciousness. Um, and it's much easier then to pressure and, frankly, fundraise on some of those things and fundraise on Senate obstruction and hypocrisy and things yeah. like that.
0: So let so that we've kind of set up the groundwork for like what impeachment would look like, what that process would look like. Um, let's talk a little bit more about like the exact details of like what the hell happened this week. Yeah. I um, know. So we know that there was a whistleblower. Um, and so, what was the whistle being blown on is the first thing to get into. Also, first something I learned this week whistleblower is a compound noun. It is not whistle-space-blower. It is just whistle whistleblower. Blower. I've had to use that word a lot this week in my Facebook post. So. <laughs> I've, I've noticed. Yes. I've noticed. Um, so, yeah. So, apparently, over the course of about four months, various people were witnessing Trump soliciting help from foreign powers to interfere in the U.S. election. Um, one specific case of this is the thing that we know the most about at this point, and that was a call... Uh, on July 25th that Trump had with uh, the president of Ukraine. Volodymyr Zelensky. Yes. And so, in, and there is a transcript of this. And now, here's where things get a little complicated. There is a memo that was released by the Trump administration that is acting as a transcript of what was said. And it is based on notes from different people who were involved in the conversation. There also appears to be, based on what the whistleblower was saying, a word-for-word transcript that has not been seen by anybody outside of, you know, the people who are holding on to that.
1: And, you know, the way these things are built, it's, you know, a combination of, like, voice recognition software and notes from people in the room. So there's this sort of fullest unabridged version and then the administration can choose to release something else that they want.
0: Now, the accusation that the whistleblower has made is that the full, unredacted, word-for-word version of the transcript is being stored in a code word secure system uh, within the White House. Code word secure is like the highest level of classification that you have for any kind of information. Uh, It's meant for like, high priority national security things. And basically the way it works is you have a code word and you have to be cleared to that specific code word. It's that sort of need to know concept, right? And so that information has been stored in that system. and So we have not seen that version of the transcript provided it still exists there. Right, and one thing that's important to note because this
1: was I think some reporting that was confusing at the beginning, it's not as if the Trump administration created this system. Correct. Uh, This system existed. It it appears that they are choosing
0: to use that system in far more cases than previous administrations. Yes. Yes. And so it is intended for things that are about national security. And we have a fairly strong notion in this country of Security and privacy and, and classifications around documents and information that are related to national security, you have a fair leeway to keep things classified. If it's about political things, theoretically, we have a fairly robust structure of transparency where right. things are documented. Maybe it doesn't all come out when you're in the heat of doing it, but eventually that goes into presidential records and like a lot of no- we know about Nixon's White House and things like that have all come out long after the fact because of those rules. Right. So it is one of those things where you say
1: it's not the norm. It's probably not illegal, but it certainly goes against the spirit yes. of what people would expect.:
0: Yeah, my understanding is certain specific individuals have the power to say, this gets bas- this gets that code word level security and goes in this document store. Um, for example, the national security advisor is one of those people who has that power. Interestingly enough, the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, was fired as all of this was going on. I mean whether that's related or not, I don't know, but it's a fun coincidence.
1: <laughs> I, I to me there is there is a lot that is honestly tied to this idea that actually we don't have very many people who have been appointed and confirmed at the highest levels. Right. Because the Don fires them or they go away or they quit. And eh, we just don't get around to appointing other people because it's easier for Donald Trump to kind of control those people then. Yes. Right. And it, it's something that I don't know that anybody recognized as a whole in the system, but it is a problem. Yeah. And I think that that was evident. And we'll talk about, we'll talk about the interview with the acting DNI, McGuire, but I think that this is another echo of that. So there is no national security advisor. there is no Director of National Intelligence who's been approved by the Senate. there's right. been no it's basically intent. just
0: a series of people who've been appointed interim and, and ongoing sure. so pick them up off the street. yeah so and I don't think we, we haven't actually talked about the contents of like what was actually talked about in that phone call yet and so that we'll, we know about that we know about. So this is based on the transcript that, that Trump has released. Um, and may have things to make it seem better than it is. Even so, there's a pretty clear implication in it of the president of the Ukraine, Zelensky, saying that they are looking to purchase Javelin missiles from us. Yeah. The money to purchase those Javelin missiles is based on a congressional appropriation that Trump was withholding at that point in the conversation. Right. Then Trump goes on to say, and I'm trying to remember the exact quote,
1: but you need to do us a favor, though.
0: Yes. Trump said, okay, so the uh, here's how the exact quote goes. Zelensky says, we are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. Trump said, I would like you to do us a favor, though. So clearly connecting the favor that he's about to ask yeah. about to the, the weapons. And the favor that he then asks is helping uh, uh, Barr and Giuliani to dig up dirt. Essentially, then he doesn't say to get dirt, but to investigate right. Biden for the supposed corrupt activities that happened.
1: And I guess when you read that transcript, you look at that and say, boy, that's pretty bad. And then you think what's crazy about that is that that is a redacted version. Right. That is a curated. He doesn't version. think it looks that bad. Right. Right. There must be a worse version of that. I mean, it was four pages long. Yeah. I read it very slowly. And parts of it I read out loud. And it took me about five minutes. And at the top, it said the call was 33 minutes long. Yeah. So maybe there's some translation time in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I don't think we've seen the whole thing. And it seems very clear there is a lot of... You know Zelensky is very syncophantic
0: on that in that transfer. Right. He recognizes the power dynamic that's involved there. Is exactly. This is the President of the United States and he holds those cards and they need that those defense supplies, the uh, the the javelin missiles, as part of protection against Russia. Right. Which is the other thing, you know, that's one of the things that struck me as so bizarre about this whole thing, uh-huh. is if you told me a month ago that Trump would, was withholding money for Ukraine that was going to pay for defense stuff, I would say, oh, it's about because he sold it to Russia. No, completely unrelated. <laughs> I mean, he'd probably also, maybe also. Maybe I mean, also maybe it's a twofer for him. Yeah, exactly.
1: Hey, look at this. Being efficient. Work smarter, not harder, Steve. Right. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really funny about this is that... The Ukrainians were like, wait a minute, you're releasing both sides of that conversation? Because he didn't want to look like a schmuck. He didn't want to look like he was coming hat in yeah. hand. And he clearly did. And that's that's been something that's kind of telling to me, you know, that this was not him being genuine and honest. This was him being... As him being Zelensky, him being, you know, sort of playing a part. Yeah. And we should, I guess, just go back and remember that Volodymyr Zelensky two years ago was the star of a hit show in the Ukraine about a comedian who becomes the president. Right. Because of corruption and all of these things. Yes. And then he's like, actually, that was a pretty good show. I'm going to turn it into a reality show. I'm going to be president. (laughs) Everybody looks around. you think Trump and him
0: would get along just splendidly that way. Well, I think they do. Well, I think actually, I mean, you know, most of what I've read from this is that um, Zelensky didn't really, like, know why the money was being withheld initially until all of this starts unfolding. And it's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, I mean, obviously he's in Like I said, he's in a position where he has no power of the the situation. So what's he going to do? And that was, I think, some
1: other interesting stuff that, The whistleblower complaint that we got to read as well kind of filled in. So not looking at the transcripts or transcript in air quotes. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, anytime I say transcript, imagine air quotes. Uh, Not looking at that in a vacuum. That there was communication ahead of time by the ambassador who was recalled and fired early. And the NATO ambassador and some others to sort of prep Zelensky to say, you got to play ball and then follow up afterwards. And so he came into that call knowing that he was supposed to be really nice and really, you know,
0: I want to drain the swamp here and you're the best. And And everybody knows that the way you deal with Trump is to kiss his ass. So that's what he did.
1: (laughs) But. But the, I need a favor, was also kind of set up. Absolutely. So, in one reading of it, it was like they had been sort of pressuring him to open this investigation to get the funds, and it didn't happen, it didn't happen, and so they said, okay, now we're going to have to have you meet with the president, and he's going to tell you to do it. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me, honestly, of the Ed Burke stuff, where... You're being extorted but you don't know it yet? Am I am I being extorted? I'm not sure. Right. This, I have to wait until the real extorter comes to me. So the extorter in chief. Extor ooh. I like that. And that's you know, that's the thing we I keep looking at and saying, the whole picture here is is pretty clear. Especially when you look at the fact that Giuliani is involved.
0: Well, and this is the thing I, find, I think is very striking to me about a lot of the sort of pushback I've seen from Republicans on this is that they're talking about, okay, well, you know, Biden was involved in this and it was a corrupt act and he's protecting his son and da-da-da-da. Now, all of that has been proven to be not true, but let's assume that it was true for a moment. What would be the course of action of the president if they wanted to have that investigated? It would be, hey, Ukraine— We have reason to believe that there's something corrupt happening here. We'd like your help with this. Um, Here's a conversation with my secretary of state. Maybe. Here's a conversation with my head of the Department of Justice. Rudy Giuliani is his private attorney. And we also found out that there are two other quote-unquote off-the-books lawyers. Who are Fox News commentators. Right. Who are working with Giuliani as part of this. So, would you have three of your private attorneys working to investigate a crime that you believe to be somehow against the U.S. government? And it's not clear to me how Biden's actions would even be attached to the government, right. even if that had happened, which it did not. Right. So, I, yeah, even
1: in sort of the worst case reading of that, that is a problem internal to the Ukraine. To Ukraine not yeah. the Ukraine to Ukraine and there could be some cooperation here's some information you should follow up on right but there's no reason to involve the Attorney General unless your intent is to bring the US Justice Department
0: if you believe there is a criminal act under the US code then okay presumably that would be part of it but why would the president get involved in that it seems like something the Attorney General could do on their own Um. Like, none of that makes any sense, no. especially once you start talking about private attorneys being involved. Yeah. Especially off-the-books private attorneys. So there's there's some super sketchy stuff going on here.
1: And, and let me say this. Every time Rudy Giuliani gets on TV, I'm popping popcorn.
0: Like oh, yeah.
1: I want that TiVo. Remember TiVo? Uh, I want that alert to go right to my my microwave and pop some popcorn because that guy
0: is insane. Yes, slash something very possibly drunk. Like, I mean, actually, that's that's one thing you would notice is Trump seems to have the most advisors who are very possibly drunk when they're doing interviews. Giuliani, uh, the economics guy, Cudlow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kudlow, oh man, like they both act like they've just. Got back from the bar. They're, like, just drinking their souls down so they can finally just say what they have to say. It's just, it's it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, and watching one of my favorite activities. Okay, favorite is too strong a word. But schadenfreude-wise is watching Giuliani go from one network and then back to Fox where he's got to pretend like he didn't just say all those bad things. Because he could say anything at any time.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like it's part of his strategy is just say so many things that you can't really hold him accountable for any one thing because clearly he's lying about something. Yeah.
1: So, Which is kind of the Trump style, too. it, It is. Yeah. It is. Lie big, lie bigger. So let's talk a little bit about the whistleblower because I think that this is pretty important to the whole story. You know, we don't know exactly who the person is, and that's, good because the president has said they want him he wants him hanged that's a yes maybe a slightly different thing thing. Um,
0: and we also have republicans actively questioning his motives even though they don't know who it is right so if they knew who it is inevitably they would come up with whole new reasons to and to ascribe those motives and the the
1: new york times reported that this person is a cia employee who specializes in Eastern Europe, specifically Ukraine, who was assigned for a time to the White House and is no longer assigned to the White House.
0: Yeah. They're an analyst. Now, presumably, that narrows it down for the people who are aware of who was in the room for all these things. But that's the interesting thing here. He was not in the room for these things. He actually went and talked to people... He basically he was hearing rumors of things as this is best as I gather and started like asking people about what happened and he sort of compiled this narrative around this from different sources and had multiple people corroborating right. each other's versions of story. So it's not like it was just one person who was who had a political axe to grind, it was two three people who were all saying exactly the same thing. Yeah.
1: And what I have heard from people who are more familiar of these things is that It read like, the whole complaint read like a CIA analyst report. Very succinct, very concise, cross-referenced. And evidently, he brought it, and and we're saying he because the New York Times reported that it was a a male, um, brought it to the CIA and was afraid it was going to get buried. And so then brought it to the inspector general. Yeah. So this person really put a lot of thought into it. Um, Again, people have found it credible. Um, We know that that, uh, the person's attorneys have been talking to the committee chairs to try to find a way to testify. Um, We have seen obvious and expected attacks, but also... So maybe unexpected attacks again from the president who said this is like spying
0: and yes, what, what did we use? There's to do a bounty to out on him. yeah you know I mean theres there's all kinds of things going on. Um, you know and I, I, I'm a little bit annoyed with the New York Times reporting that yeah. he was from the CIA and things like that. but you know I saw some other people suggesting, well, it's like this information was known in enough circles that the New York Times wasn't really outing him in that, that sense. Uh, and I assume it's a hymn, but from what no, reporting they said thought, it. Well, I mean, they said it was a him. Okay, that's what I th- like. I remembered reading that somewhere. So okay, um, it is a tough call, though. I, I think. I mean, I feel, I feel bad for whoever that is because, however this plays out, they're going to have a, a bunch of crap to deal with over the next months, years, and possibly the rest of their life. Once their once their name is known, like, let's say our best case scenario is Trump gets removed from office. That oh, yeah. person will be held to blame for that, and there's a lot of crazies who will not be happy with them. No, nope. They're going to have to go into, like, witness protection. I, what if it's Steve Bartman? Right? That would be awesome if it turned out to be Steve Bartman. I mean, it really would. Look,
1: like, I know everybody. I was looking for some way to get more people to hate me. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but true patriot, Steve Bartman. True. True. <laughs> In other news, the yes. Cubs season is over. <laughs> right.
1: Manager Madden is gone. Yes. Uh, anyway.
0: How we didn't lead with that, well, that would be our local that we'd lead. That, that would right, be I local. But I,
1: it is really almost playing out like, like it was written by Aaron Sorokin, right? Yeah. So then we had, after all that, Maguire, who is the acting DNI, who is only the acting DNI because his boss – And his boss's boss were like, peace out.
0: Yeah. And it's worth remembering that the DNI who was there in the first place resigned. Dan Coats. Dan Coats. Trump tried to put in his own guy, and that was resoundingly rejected by seemingly everybody. So that guy didn't make it. So finally they get through this chain of command until finally uh, this poor guy gets in the line of fire and is now the DNI. And he's a career guy.
1: Yeah, He is not a political appointee. He's a career guy. He's a military guy. guy. Yeah. And, you know, seven weeks ago, he had his job and he was happily doing it, presumably. And now all of a sudden he's like, and you know it was like second day on the job. Like, hey, man, good news for you. I got this whistleblower report. Right. Okay. It says the president was promising everything in the world to Vladimir Zelensky. And this guy, I mean, I wonder if he instantly developed an
0: ulcer. Yeah. What I loved was during the testimony, he was asked uh, if he had talked to Dan Coates about this before Dan Coates had resigned. And he's like, if I had talked to Dan Coates about this before he resigned, I wouldn't have taken the job. (laughs) So (laughs) good bet that the people above him did talk
1: to Dan Coates. (laughs) Well, and that actually was a statement that gave him some credibility in my mind. Like, here's a man who knows that he didn't know what he was getting yeah. into. And,
0: and when all of this stuff unfolded, my immediate thought was, okay, this DNI is a Trump guy and he's acting corruptly and you know he's trying to cover this up. After hearing his testimony, it totally sounds like new guy at the office walks into this shitstorm and does not right. know how to deal with it and is like, okay, well, the chain of command, he's a military guy, and so he's like, okay, well, who do I report this to? And ends up going to the Department of Justice and the Office of Legal Counsel to find out, like, is this something he's even allowed to release because that's what he's theoretically supposed to do. And the DOJ and the OLC are basically like, no, 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 you're not supposed to release that. That's, that's confidential, and it, and it doesn't none of this applies. And he ends up very smartly going to Congress. So he gives them the broad outlines of what has happened, but they doesn't say exactly what they're – but the, basically there is a whistleblower complaint. Right. And that allows Congress to start pushing back on this, to start doing their investigations. Gives him without, some air and And he has not revealed anything that would be subject to executive privilege or or whatever rules that may be in play here. And it became clear very quickly that he, that should have been released to Congress, and that's exactly why we have those whistleblower statues in the first place. Right, and it,
1: it was really interesting listening and watching the, the exchanges because you know, I I really thought that he was like, I honestly did not know what to do. There were some things in here I thought I needed to show to the DOJ. I, is there executive privilege here? I'm not sure. This feels unprecedented. The IG was pre- was was pressuring him to release it in full. I'm trying to I'm trying to make my way through, and you know, to the Democrats, like. Stop asking me questions. You got the thing. The, ends, the, the yeah, results I are got, there. I got where we needed to go. Like, right. I, yeah. And to the Republicans, he's like, no, all of this was done right because they were like, isn't this some kind of witch hunt? Side note, at what point does it become a warlock hunt? Right. Anyway.
0: <laughs> but Also, are there are a whole hunts? lot of witches and warlocks running around this whole thing, and mostly warlocks, though. Almost all warlocks, really. Are wizards? I don't know. Wizards? I don't know. But he he played it pretty you know he played it pretty
1: narrow right i you ended up getting it democrats you know there was some there were some yeah. questions about it as you would expect as would happen in any administration and hey republicans this was all done on the level leave me alone right
0: and this is another one of those cases where in spite of the active efforts to corrupt the system it is it is it is it, is, it makes me feel good that there are people in the system who still follow the rules as best they can, who are trying to do the right thing. Yeah. That this whistleblower exists, that McGuire did the right thing. Because if McGuire doesn't do the right thing there, none of that shit comes out. Right. Uh, If the whistleblower doesn't take the the very real risk to their life to put this stuff out there, none of this stuff gets out there. I mean, like, now, I feel like Trump has been so brazen and pushing in so many directions— at once, that eventually he's going to get caught on one thing or another, and this happens to be the thing, maybe. Um, but it is—it still strikes me as shocking that we've gotten this far on this. Like, it feels like, oh well, you know, they've got a whistleblower, but we're never going to hear about that. And then suddenly, oh, we know we know <laughs> there's a whistleblower, and here's all the things. Like, oh, that. So I feel like some something has shifted that we don't see. Right. Something about like the Republicans yeah, in yeah. the Senate maybe like that they're like we're not into this game anymore and maybe we're not willing to say it publicly you know and that gets back to like jeff flake was coming out saying that there was some 35 senators uh republican senators who was a secret vote would vote in favor of impeachment so i think there's definitely enough Cracks in the dam underneath Trump at this point, because he'd be standing on top of the dam. I don't know why, but there are enough cracks there. It's the highest spot. The highest I always spot. I was standing in the highest spot. Right. It's the best and spot It's to just look. a giant wall of bullshit on the other side of that dam. I built this wall. That's a dam, sir. It's a wall. It's a wall. It's keeping the water out. You know, every time I cuss on this Thank show you. now, I think about your son listening, so that's great. <laughs> He'll call you on, yeah. on it, Steve. He'll
1: call me on it. When he reviews us on iTunes... I mean, I I think we should talk a little bit about the broader response. So I think we've got three lines of response here. So we yes. have the Trump response which from the is, Republicans. Yes, yes, yes. Which is via Twitter. Uh, he has called uh, he has called Adam Schiff a traitor. Right, and uh, said that he wants an investigation on Adam Schiff for
0: treason. Right. Because as we all know, in a, in a government of laws, not of men, that if you betray the man who is president, you're clearly a traitor.
1: Uh, he's called the whistleblower a spy, and the people who
0: talk to the whistleblower a spy... Uh, to be fair, the whistleblower is a spy, as far as we know. No, well, they're CIA uh, analyst. I don't know. Well, they're an analyst probably, so not necessarily a spy. man. Per se, if you're in the
1: CIA, I think you pretty much. Just, just I think the, that's that's your right. card.
0: You're 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 a consultant, right? For for an hey. import export firm.
1: <laughs> but, and then he implied, well, we used to hang people like that. We we weren't so nice to them before, right? So you know, we got some death threats from the tweets. Then you've got sort of rank-and-file Republicans. And my favorite was uh, McCarthy. Uh, He's the minority leader in the House. During this interview, you know, defending, you know, he's like they were talking about the transcript, and they said, well, you've got to do us a favor, though. He's like, you inserted that that word. They're like, no, it's in the transcript. And the look on his face when he realized that Donald Trump actually said, do us a favor, though, and he's like, Mm. Yeah. I mean, to his credit, he scrambled and made up some other bullshit, but yeah. there's sort of that rank and file. Yeah, he was
0: going out there and saying, oh, yeah, Pelosi wouldn't have imp- gone, gone for impeachment if she'd seen the transcript first. Like, no. Uh, That's exactly why they did it. Yeah. And and also you hear a repeated talking point of, oh, well, the whistleblower heard it all secondhand, and therefore it's completely invalid. Like. Well, no, they the, the, it's corroborating multiple people's accounts. If it had only right. been one individual reporting their accounting of it, it would actually be less credible because maybe they misunderstood something. Maybe there's some axe grind that that person has. Right. But if it's like two or three other people who are all saying the same thing, then it's a little bit something different. Also, I'd be very curious when we get to the point of who those two or three people are, what's going to happen because they're in the White House right now in theory. In theory,
1: yeah. But the other thing that blows me away is that they say, like, well, it's a hearsay. It's two or third. Nobody nobody has entered. He doesn't really know what they said. Okay, well, tell me where the transcript and the report differ because that report seems pretty much dead on. Yeah. So, again, seems to have some, some good credibility that way. The other response that I really liked was uh, Jim Jordan. Freedom caucus guy. Guy who can't wear a jacket. Look, I'm approachable cuz I always wear long sleeve shirts. <laughs> right. And no jacket. I think I just lost my jacket. Anyway, he's like Donald Trump couldn't have done anything against the interests of the country because Donald Trump always has the best entry interests of the com- country in his heart. <laughs>
0: What ah, does that mean? Well, how can you argue that? I, I You can't because yeah. it makes no damn sense.
1: <laughs> I guess we'll have to sacrifice Donald Trump, Yeah. cut out his heart ritualistically, and then examine it. I, I mean, that, again, doesn't make sense. And then you've got what seems to be the reaction from, I would say, institutions of the government, where the State Department is now going back and retroactively reclassifying documents— to then persecute people in the State Department for sending classified information to Hillary Clinton.
0: They're digging up the Clinton email thing again as some kind of vague defense against this. Actually, and that's the other thing which we didn't touch on. Um, Part of... So the whistleblower complaint says that there are interactions with many different countries. It doesn't... And this July 25th call is one example of that. The other thing that apparently has been going on is they've been reaching out to countries like Australia. G'day. G'day. Um, and has been uh, asking them to help them undermine what our intelligence agencies were saying in the Mueller report, in, As in the Russia investigations. So this is a very broad set of things that we're talking about, and this has been going on roughly, it seems, since the Mueller report came out, like the official like release of it yeah. happened, and... Effectively, when Trump was clearly going to get away with it, it seems he was ready to sort of broaden things and be a little more aggressive.
1: Although I guess Giuliani had been trying to work on some Biden angle since. Yes. Yeah. He'd been working on that for a while. Yeah. And one of the things that strikes me about this. So, you know, you've got Donald Trump in that call asking about CrowdStrike. Which was the the company that was hired to investigate the break the, the hacking the break in into the hacking. DNC, right? Um, you know, and he's asking about this specifically and seemingly perpetuating some of these conspiracy theories. Yeah. Now, and and this is a serious question.
0: Does he believe these are true? I think what it comes down to is that Trump's ego is such that he needs to believe that there is a conspiracy against him because it clearly cannot be him that's the problem. Right. And so, you know, we saw this, like, you go back to the election and how he lost the election, the popular vote in the election, how he had a lower turnout for his inauguration compared to Obama. Sure. And he couldn't help himself but to keep talking about it over and over and over again. So it does not surprise me that with the Mueller investigation, that he was going from country to country to country and saying, hey, this is all a bunch of crap, and we need your help to uncover this. I mean, because he won't let that go. No, but,
1: but I look at that and I say, okay, I'm an unscrupulous politician. I have a very easy narrative. I can lie about this thing, and I can set my, my base on fire with it fine. I can spend 10 minutes every 3 weeks lying about this and it's not a big deal. It is a whole other thing to say I'm going to turn the government into this engine to try to prove these conspiracy theories. Like do you honestly believe that you know the that Ukrainians were involved somehow in the 2016 election or that there were 6 million illegal votes cast in California and you're going to, you know, put these resources to it when you don't have to where everybody else says it's
0: false, but he, but he has, has to. I, it's, it's so fundamental to him and his ego that he, he has to do it. Yeah. And, and ultimately that seems the most likely thing to be his downfall in all of this is that he just can't let it go. I mean, if he had backed off of all that, yeah, if he had, I mean, you know, what would be hilarious is if Biden doesn't end up being the nominee in all of this. Like, after all of this effort and what ultimately may undo Trump's presidency, turns out to be investigating somebody who didn't end up winning the nomination anyhow.
1: It would be very funny. I would,
0: like, I would laugh really hard. You know, Elizabeth Warren's son. And that's just because I'm a Warren backer, yeah. by the way. <laughs> but, you know, you have to presume yeah. that this is the kind of stuff that he would be doing to... Some other candidate, whoever. So if Bernie Sanders gets a nomination, he would get the same degree of the government being used as a weapon against the campaign.
1: Yeah, well, I do think that Biden is associated in his mind, for good reason, with Barack Obama. And so, therefore, all things Biden, bad, terrible people, the worst people. Right. Now, I don't often agree with Bill Maher. Me neither, but I'm going <laughs> to agree with Bill Maher here. Hunter Biden is also an idiot.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's long established he's a black sheep of the family. He's, he's got a whole bunch of problems. Like, and and all evidence is that what Biden did in terms of like dealing with the the prosecutor who was operating in Ukraine at the time, there was international support for getting rid yep. of that person because they were corrupt. And which, there was no- which I'm sure Trump is very disappointed about because right. if that had been ironically if they'd had a Trump uh, a corrupt prosecutor Trump would have no problem getting the dirt on Biden even though there wouldn't have been any right just make it up right and
1: the the subsequent person did an investigation and found that there are some sketchy things but nobody did anything illegal you know it, it really is kind of a yeah I guess to me Hunter Biden Really just shouldn't have taken that job because it didn't really do anybody good except Hunter Biden. Anyway,
0: have we talked that out? I think we're pretty good. I'm actually going to see if there's anything that's happened in the last like 40 minutes or so. Uh, I mean,
1: because news is breaking that quickly. I mean, who's been subpoenaed thus far?
0: uh, So we have uh, apparently the inspector general is pushing back on the claims that the whistleblower's information was all secondhand. So that's a thing. Uh, Oh, yeah. And that's the other thing. Mike Pompeo was apparently on that Trump call to the Ukraine. Of course he was, because,
1: I mean, he's he's the president's man.
0: Well, you know, honestly, like, the Secretary of State being on the call makes perfect sense. Yeah. But, you know. uh, Yeah, and then we've got him pressing Australian Prime Minister to help with the justice review of the Russia probe origins. uh, Oh, and Senate Democrats apparently pushing William Barr to testify on the whistleblower complaint. So, you know, uh, by the time this podcast gets edited and posted... And almost certainly, there will be a whole bunch of other information that will totally make this irrelevant. But this is the world as it stands now. This is the world as any, it stands. Any any
1: final thoughts? I just I, I do want to just comment, and I'm sure other people have hot takes on this. Donald Trump retweeting uh, Jeffers, the the pastor, faux religious person. In Texas, who said there would be a civil war if the president is removed from office? I mean, I look at that and say, what president
0: pushes that sort of thing? Well, I mean, honestly, that's my biggest concern about all of this. Is I feel like no matter how Trump, yeah, well, okay, let's put it this way. The only way I think Trump leaves office where we don't have some kind of like violent backlash against it is if he loses so overwhelmingly that it's even hard for him to create a narrative that it was somehow it was stolen or rigged or whatever. If he loses the election, it will be a rigged election to, to him and his followers. If he gets thrown out of office, it will be a witch hunt, et cetera, et cetera, to him and his followers. There's a very good chance that this gets ugly very quickly. Um, my hope is that if and when that happens that the government is safely against Trump at that point and that the, the, the forces that the federal government have will be aligned in favor of the people and protecting the system and not defending. A Trump attempt to somehow undermine all of this.
1: So Netflix, if you're listening, if you could remake those two or three episodes of House of Cards, please, so that he just exits the White House easily instead of deploying the National Guard on Election Day and not certifying the elections so that he could somehow re-win it, I would appreciate it. Right. Luckily, (laughs) Donald Trump doesn't have a long enough memory. If you remake it now still see that it was okay yes maybe yes. just throw in there that one term is all you get as well that would be a good one. Oh yeah that would be a good one
0: so yeah um yeah so that's i think that's it for impeachment i think we're good that's all like right, for today yeah for for today i'm sure we'll have more tomorrow that we'll get to next week uh the only other thing we have really on national news i want to talk about was uh a call back to our old friend of the podcast will Hurd. Hey, Will. Apparently, uh, he's gonna talking about running for president in twenty twenty four. That's all I have to say. There's not much else to update. You know what? I saw his name come up. I figured it was worth. If he were selling T-shirts already, I'd buy one. There you go. Uh, Also, uh, no Seth Moulton related news. So there you go. Except
1: he did just send me a fundraising email. Come on, Seth. (laughs) Come on, man. Well, he's got a house. He's got a house race to worry about. So yeah, he does. So I do want to touch internationally a little bit. I know we've gone very long on the other things. Um, And I I want to talk about the U.K. I want to Actually, you know what?
0: Before we do that, I want to make one comment about that. It is nice that the impeachment is so drowning out the news cycle that Trump hasn't figured out a way to get out of it yet. Because we've been talking about this for solidly a week, and Trump hasn't figured out some way to dredge up racism or anything else to divert us away from talking about that.
1: That is a good point. Do you think he'll be like... Do you think at some point he'll just get to the... Hey, guys, have you seen my Jeffrey Epstein uh,
0: <laughs> videos? <laughs> like, he'll be like, you know what? Uh, being a child predator might be an upgrade from uh, this, so I'm going to try that angle. Uh, uh, I'm not saying we did anything. Just saying we
1: hung out yes. at these
0: events. Anyhow. Uh, but it's UK news. Yeah, so... <laughs> Boris Johnson
1: had a stunning defeat at, in the Supreme Court of the UK and I think we talked about this a little bit before 11-0 to 0, unanimous said that his proroguing of Parliament was illegal and so in theory Parliament's supposed to be back in session, the Speaker of the House called them all back they're kind of doing things Boris has said I'm not going to listen to you at all and here's the thing that is most important to me. Um, he has started raising some of these same specters, and this is the, the sort of segue. He has started saying, if we don't leave the EU on Halloween, deal or no deal, there will be riots, people will get killed. There was a, an MP who was, was murdered a few years ago. And they specifically referred to her killing. <laughs> this is not the behavior of of people who have their country's best interest in it mind. The,
0: yeah, it's the behavior of authoritarians and fascists. Yeah. It is
1: unbelievable. Yeah. I, and, you know, there is some question, you know, maybe as soon as the end of this week, he'd be forced to step down or, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, who's the leader of the Labor Party, could... Take over. It's it's very, very dodgy, to use a British term there right now. And also very scary. Yeah. Also scary because I've
0: booked a trip to the UK on like the third of November. Well, it's better than having it on like October twenty-eighth, I think. Like the third of November, you can just be like, oh, I'm just not gonna go. No, <laughs> I'm just like I don't even know how to get into the country at that yeah, point. Yeah, I so. can't even get in. Uh, I'm just gonna stay home. Yeah, so I've got. to... I just trip imagine to a very, very long line at customs in Heathrow
1: Airport. Believe you mean at Airship One. So airstrip One. Sorry, that's. I. It is really an uncertain time and not getting better. So the other thing I wanted to bring up was Israel. So in last week's episode, we talked about the state of the elections and that you know. Uh, the Likud party and the blue and white party had been very close, but the blue and white party, the opposition had gotten more votes. And so the president of Israel got to choose somebody to form the next government. And my assumption had been that it would be Benny Gantz who was the, is the head of the, the opposition party. But the president chose Bibi to try to form a government. So again, you know, it's a proportional kind of representation. You've got to get a majority. So form a government means get enough people to say they'll support you so that you have a majority of votes in the Knesset. And I saw that and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Um, Netanyahu tried for a few days and gave up. And so now Benny Gantz has a chance. And he said he's open to some sort of unity government. As long as Netanyahu is gone. So I think there's a lot of hope right now. Maybe hope is that's kind of showing my biases here. But there is a strong feeling right now that Netanyahu's sort of reign is done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a big deal. Yeah. right. And, you know, he ran on authoritarian, xenophobic things and it looks like he's gonna lose Yeah, and that is a good thing that is a positive thing
0: yeah no I'm I I, you know especially just if nothing else because of the corruption around him like I mean it's good to see systems of government rooting those things out of themselves because a lot of times the government is you know resistant to doing that see also you know our Department of Justice and Trump and all that sort of stuff so yeah, that's about all we had on international. Um, some things we we should definitely come back to maybe next week is uh, Saudi Arabia and like uh, in the Khashoggi. interview, yeah, Khashoggi, uh, and also like what's going. We haven't talked about Kashmir recently, so we should see what's going on there. We didn't talk about the climate summit. Well, I assume they're just we're just finding out we're screwed. So well,
1: it was a, it was some stirring words uh, by Greta Thunberg. Yes, um, we haven't talked about the fires in the rainforest we should not think of, we should not forget about this yes.
0: uh apparently montana is due for like four feet of snow okay steve bullock feet what's he got snow. to say about
1: that uh yeah and uh we haven't talked about we haven't talked about hong kong where violence continues uh uh, this, the 70th anniversary of the revolution, so big time for the People's Republic of China. These are all things that people should be thinking of and they should be in your consciousness. Uh, if we're not bringing them up, I hope you know, you'll you take some time to catch up on them because they're still very big news.
0: Absolutely. Um, um, it's just, you know, the impeachment is the We tend to stick mostly the to the domestic stuff. Yeah. You know, we touch on international a little bit as it comes up. Uh, and, of course, we always touch on Circus 2020. Election Circus 2020. <sighs> the circus. Yes.
1: So the easy segue here is Biden in Ukraine and his son. I, You know, we've kind of said it. There's, there's no, no th- evidence. There's no there there. <laughs> there's no there there. Except his son is an idiot for taking the job. Right. Um this is a pretty common you know it's a pretty common thing in eastern europe for sort of oligarch founded or aligned companies to sort of shroud themselves in in legitimacy through taking on western executives and whatnot Should have known better than to take that job but any wrongdoing was done beforehand about getting licenses for the wells and whatnot. Um, now that said, it has meant that Joe Biden has dominated the news cycle. Nobody has been mentioned more but in the last. Not a good week. way. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, one would say all news is good news. You know, all coverage is good coverage. Say that's a Donald well, Trump, right? I mean.
0: Though the polls are, are not necessarily going in his favor. We'll get to that in a sec, though. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing around, you know, obviously impeachment has dominated the news cycle, so, you know, yep. we've got all the different candidates talking about their position on impeachment. Warren has been long time on impeachment, so unsurprisingly, she's still there. Uh, Sanders had initially been more mixed on it. Like, I don't know, he's now on board. Um, I think most of the cats are on board, the only exception being uh, Gabbard. Yeah, Gabbard's like- I don't know. Let's just vote him out. Well, my favorite thing was Gabbard was like her concern was that it would like cause divisiveness and like like have you not been paying attention to what's going on? Like divisiveness is just what we do now. And so I don't see how impeachment is going to make that worse. I mean, we're talking about earlier in the podcast of, you know, what are the risks of civil war if we just elect somebody other than Trump? It's true. I mean, but. I mean, anyhow. I I, mean, she's not going to win. She's going to be around long enough to complain about, you know, how the system's rigged against her, and we'll move on. think she
1: got into the next debate. Oh, Jesus.
0: Uh, (sighs) Although, that's the good news is that uh, it sounds like they're going to do one stage with 12 people rather than doing two separate debates.
1: And what's the date the debate's on?
0: October 15th, I believe. Are you going to be in town? I should be in town. I know I'm only going to watch one night of debates, so I, I can only, whichever night that is. So if I I've can bought, only handle one night of debates. But I believe it's only October 15th at this point.
1: And I think I'm going to be in town. Yeah.
0: Now, it will be a terrible debate with 12 people on one stage, oh, yeah. but at least we can move past that, get on to, I assume the next round of debates is in November, yeah. and we'll have higher qualification levels, and we can finally get this down to a real conversation before we get to the primary. So let's talk but about
1: polls, because... We had some interesting polls over the last two weeks. Last week, we talked a little bit about Iowa and sort of the gold standard poll showing uh, showing Warren in the lead. Now we've got some, some more expanded polling, New Hampshire,
0: South Carolina, Nevada. What are you seeing? Well, it looks like Warren has started to gain a bit of a lead here, and I've been seeing more and more Headlines on articles suggesting that Warren is kind of taking over things. So now if you look at the national polls, they still largely favor Biden. But you look at the recent polls in Iowa, they're all trending towards Warren. Same in New Hampshire. Um, Sanders appears to be fading. Um, you know, and I don't know. I and mean, honestly, it looks like more of Warren picking up support from people who were supporting Biden you know, Sanders has yeah. his core of support, but, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. Uh, but I've been seeing, you know, it's, it's hard to judge, like, the coverage of, of Sanders because there's a good chunk of the media that really doesn't like Sanders to begin with. And so there's always going to be a sort of negative tinge to the coverage of him. Yeah. But um, I've been seeing more, like... More of a sense of his campaign's really just not getting any traction, more so than what they had in 2016, and Warren is sort of picking up more steam.
1: Yeah, and I, I've got to say, I've been a little surprised how the polls have trended against Bernie Sanders. Yeah, and I, and not, and I'll say it, I'm not, I don't have like. Emotional feelings about it. Polls are polls, and um, but it it does it does surprise me how he's kind of fallen off. And I know his last debate performance wasn't great, but I don't know if he's just having trouble adapting to being somebody that needs to deliver something other than not being the anti-establishment person.
0: Well, and I think. I think there was a freshness to what he was doing in 2016 that is lacking this time because he's basically I mean his strength and his weakness is he's been saying the same thing for yeah, you know, 30 40 years. And so um Yeah, and he was saying the same thing in 2016 and now he's saying the same thing in, tw- you know, for the 2020 race. And I think there are people who have who like it and have bought into it. But to a lot of people, it's like, okay, but what else? Yeah. And you know, but you know, but how much of it is how things are covered and all that sort of stuff? And really, what matters, I think, is more about how their operations work on the ground in the key states that are yep. starting this whole thing. So, who are you inspiring in Iowa to come out and vote for you to get other people out to vote for you? Same in New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. Like those are the sort of the first big yep. ones.
1: And, you know, the poll numbers in Nevada have were really surprising to me this, this last round because I think I had said a couple of weeks ago I could imagine a world where Warren wins Iowa. Yeah. And Biden wins South Carolina because he's very popular with the African-American voters. and And Sanders wins Nevada because of his very strong vocal union stance. Yeah. And he's tied with Warren in Nevada. Yeah. I don't know that Sanders can continue if he loses, if he well, doesn't win Iowa, if he if he doesn't win any of those He three. can
0: continue as long as he wants because he has a core base of donors who will keep donating to him. So – can he continue? Yes. Is it? Does he continue to actually get enough votes to matter? Is more of the question, because yeah, if you're under right. that 15% threshold, you get nothing. Right. And now like you might it. get a few here and there for like little local precincts or whatever, but, um, yeah. I, and he has said that he,
1: you know, he is, or at least implied that, you know, at a point he'll support the right, can you know, support a different candidate. Yeah. And but something like
0: if Warren ends up getting a clear lead, I'm quite certain that that Sanders will warmly endorse her in a way that he like. He was very clearly reticent to endorse Clinton, and then but once he was on board, he was on board. But that by that point, you know, a lot of his supporters had lost interest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, I think he did the right thing, but you know, some of his supporters still just weren't willing to go along. Um, I think it'll be a much more enthusiastic support for Warren, recognizing that. While she is not quite where he is, she's awfully damn close. And that she represents a much better path forward than a Biden or, you know, who who knows who else starts polling better. But, you know, it's interesting because I haven't seen Harris or Buttigieg or Booker or any of them sort of getting any advantage from Biden seeming to fade a little.
1: Yeah. And today's the last day of the quarter. So we'll see... You know fundraising numbers. Booker said he was going to drop out if he didn't raise enough by today. You know we're going to start seeing numbers come yeah. in in the next week. I look. The other thing about this is that nobody's polling above ten percent. I mean, there are only at this point only four and a half viable candidates. Yeah. You know, people can make arguments for
0: Buttigieg or Harris. Yeah. But nobody below well, that. Well, and I still feel like Judge is playing for the time when, the, when they get to that next round of debates where there's less people on stage. He can sort of, like, pick out what his campaign is really going to be about. Because he's always, like, tried to stick to talking vaguely about values rather than policies and things like that. And he's certainly got the money to keep going. So it's yeah. like, wait until he's kind of got his opening and then take his shot. Whether it works for him or not, I don't know. I think it probably doesn't, just because I think there's a value in authenticity and having your message. And I think Warren and Sanders have both both have that in a way that Buttigieg hasn't so far. So, yeah. And I, I, like what I mean. What's Buttigieg's message?
1: What? Why is he running? It's a good question. He's a veteran. Okay. Uh, he's so, from so Midwestern state. Let's not bring Tulsi Gabbard into this. <laughs> the, you know, I think it does get to the point, you know, when there are six people or seven people running. You know, the hope that all of the one percent and two percent caches of votes will go to, you know, a Buttigieg, not a Biden. Because there's just not a lot of, you know, support to, to spread around.
0: Yeah. Um, just because everybody is polling so low. I mean. Well, I and there's know. still, you know, there's still a good amount of unknown, you know, people who haven't made a choice yet. And so it's possible they could jump behind him. How have they not made a choice yet? It's already October. Right. I mean, come on, people. As only we have know, 130 the Iowa caucus happens at Iowa. Halloween. Oh, wait, yeah. no, that's Brexit. Right. I'm getting confused. Right.
1: And again I would like to remind you that the primary here in Illinois is on st. Patrick's Day yes so you know you're gonna get the best
0: results <laughs> and and actually and re- I believe you can take your green beers into I, the polling place so 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 that this might is, be wrong you know kind of related
1: the city of Sandusky and uh, Sandusky Ohio which is the place in Ohio I've been to the most in my life has said that voting day is going to be a holiday in Sandusky. Okay. Good for Sandusky in Ohio. If you haven't been there, it's the home of Cedar Point. It's a big amusement park, America's roller coaster.
0: So you can go, cast your vote, perhaps ride a roller coaster. Perhaps. Although it's probably not the time of year one yeah. is riding roller coasters because... Pretty cold. Yeah. But still, I, I like it. That
1: say, I like it. That's nice. And... Do they honestly, have early voting there?
0: If they have early voting there, and they give a, the national or the local holiday for it, I'm I, a fan. If Sandusky, why not Chicago? And honestly,
1: for the primary, why not Chicago, it's kind of a holiday anyway. Let's just get on that bandwagon. I agree. So write your alderman. Voting. Are we on the local
0: podcast now?
1: No, no, no. Oh, okay, but I'll bring it back up then too. All right. I, I there was something else I wanted to bring up in around circus 2020 i was talking to my dad uh who's and, an old and i'm white just gonna
0: guy. i'm gonna note that the segment in our in our little outline here is thoughts from an old white guy which i'm sure you thought was biden or
1: bernie sanders but in I didn't this think case it was you though i didn't think it was you Okay, <laughs> hey, not me okay but it's my father who's uh, he's 86 years old okay uh white guy not ace from the midwest grew up in pittsburgh um Surprisingly not running for president. He could probably get, like, he'd probably poll at, like, 12%. Right. Uh, So he was talking about all of the candidates, you know, and who I thought, like, look, this is a, it's a big field, difficult, you know, what do you think? And he's like, and this is interesting. He's like, for me right now, Pete Buttigieg is the person who's resonating most with me. Really. Which I found I found really really surprising. Especially when you see a lot of polls where you're like I really like Biden and if it's not Biden, I'm looking for Bernie Sanders, which is clearly not policy related. They're like I want old white guy.
0: Or it's I know that name and I and if that guy doesn't get it, then I know this other name. Also could be.
1: And What he said to me, which, you know, again, I'm a statistics guy. I know this is not in any way a valid number. It's very anecdotal. But he said the person who talks most about taking care of other people is Pete Buttigieg. And that's the thing that means the most to me. His policies aren't as crisp. You know, yes... He's like, yeah, sure. Elizabeth Warren's written all these things. But when Pete Buttigieg talks about things, he talks about the job of the country to be to take care of the people inside of it. And that's what matters to me.
0: I feel like Warren does that, but I think that's an interesting, like, how she talks about it versus how he talks about it. It's. Hmm. Interesting. And, and I just, yeah. I, I found it very
1: interesting and I wanted to bring it up. I, I wanted to get your reaction. I,
0: you know, again. Well, and ta- you know, this honestly gets back at one of the things I think is more of a challenge for Sanders is I don't think he, because he doesn't talk about it in quite those terms. He talks about like the people, you know, taking the system and fixing the system to then, you know, make sure we're all taken care of. Like, it's like a very sort of it's a much more, I mean, it's obviously a very socialist-focused, sort of more abstract yeah. version of that, whereas Buttigieg is talking about it more of a, sounds like a very much an inter- community, interpersonal kind yeah. of thing. Um, granted, you know, how well did you take care of the people who were in, you know, South Bend is a little bit of a mixed bag. So, but, you know. You know. Fair. But, you know, if we're talking about rhetoric and how you, like, that yes. is a, I, I see why that's effective. Yeah. Um, you know how how long you know, and and it may very well be that once he has a chance to make that on the stage, with a smaller crowd around him, he might have more impact than he does right now. When yeah. it's ten people all talking for a minute at a time. So, or anyway, I, I thought I'd bring it up. Time, but yes. So uh, this has been pretty stressful. It's been a stressful week. Been a lot well, going been, on. You know, I will say though, um, we should. We should toast to the fact that impeachment is finally an actual Woo. thing. I don't know if you can hear the clinking glasses on the recording, but maybe I'll add that in if you can't. There we go. There we go. Th- thank, you, thank you for your
1: gaffer work there, sir. <laughs> Thanks. I think it's a Foley man. Foley
0: man, yes. Gaffer's the one who tapes things right, down. That's, that's right. But you need both. right after the key Because grip. otherwise, the Foley person trips, and then it's all a disaster. It's Though it all, makes for a good sound recording, so maybe it works out Okay.
1: So, today we're at the Old Irving Brewery. (laughs) Yes. um, Which is not on Irving Park. Uh, It's on Montrose. It's right by the Montrose Blue Line. Is it in
0: Old Irving, though? I don't think it is. I think we're in Albany Park. Now, you'd think I would know for sure, but I'm not positive.
1: Okay. Because this is right around, I I think it's west of, of Albany Park. Okay. But it may be north of Old Irving. Okay. Either this way, is, uh, this
0: is this is very minutiae of Chicago yeah. geography for our local podcast or our national podcast. But it's uh but you know, anyhow,
1: it's just uh it's just west of Keeler, it's just east of the of the blue line, right off the expressway, right off the expressway. Um, they've got the facilities right here, so you can see all the vats. They've got they've got bags here in the facility, so you can go back there. Yeah, and, throw yeah. Some and also bags. I have to
0: say, like I feel like. Of the places we've recorded out on a Monday, this seems like one of the more happening places that we've, we've been to. Like a lot of them, it's like, it's a little more chill on a Monday, you yeah. got a couple people here and there, whereas this is like pretty crowded. I think part of it is they've got, you know, like a full menu here, so... People here for dinner and all that. Yeah, so. and the food here is good. The pretzels were good. Yes, uh, it, it was not quite as good as our pretzel last week, but it was no. solid. Solid yeah. effort. I would put it in the top four pretzels. Yes, definitely top four. Which is
1: saying something on episode twenty-two. That's right. Um, the beer here, I I have always liked. I, you know, I've been here a few times before. I've always liked it. Um, they've got a good mix of lagers and ales. I I'm drinking a. My Thai
0: PA right now, which I had a sip of it accidentally because they put it in front of me instead of you, and it did have kind of a My Thai vibe to it. I was kind of like, I'd almost order that. I, I, am I, I had a sip of it and I was like, what the?
1: I guess I should have read the the title better. Yeah. It's fruity, but it's yeah. really good. Yeah. I'm really, really enjoying it. I, I was hoping they had some peach flavored thing. I wanted some impeachment beer. They didn't have it. They've got this. They've got this. My PA six and a half percent. It's really nice.
0: Yes, it's, re- it's really nice. And uh, yeah, and I started with the Ludifisk, which uh, I'm going to read you the description of this because it's awesome. Kettle-soured ale brewed with half wheat, cranberry juice, Swedish fish, and a touch of milk sugar. Um, I swear to you, I can taste the Swedish fish in that beverage. It's kind of fascinating. So
1: are you familiar with Ludfist as a... As a concept, yes. And I I
0: believe I... Yeah, I actually... I had that when I was in Sweden, and it was not... Good. Totally awful. I wouldn't eat it again, but I could could eat what we got, and it was like, okay, I see why this is an acquired taste, and I moved on. But I've had Malort and been like... "Eh, uh, so I start off with that, and then I have their uh, Marzen because it's Oktoberfest season. I've always got to do that. And, of course. Uh, they've got a nice example of the, the type of beverage.
1: Yeah, and they've got flags hung up here. They've got the German flag and the flag for the state of Bavaria. It's very nice. I, I, again, I, every time I'm here, I'm like, why am I not here more?
0: I, I have never been here before actually so this I, is my I this my is first. my
1: third or fourth time here I I just really like it it's, yeah it's I like how it's house. like
0: nice and open with the the brewing area like they have yeah. it like there's like a barricade but like all you can see all of the brewing equipment and yeah it's like
1: there's a mosh pit right by the brewing equipment right
0: right yeah so if we got the special access VIP pass that's true we could be in the brewing area watching it sit in a metal container uh, and do nothing. yeah nothing but anyhow Great place. Fermentation, it's great, but it's kind of boring to watch. It is. So, highly
1: recommended. I, you know what? I, I think I could say we're kind of tramps that way. I, I There was an episode of How I Met Your Mother where they talk about you give your stamp to everything. That's me.
0: Every brewery we've been to has been good. Well, you know, and I, I think I talked about this on a previous episode. Is like, you know, we, we aren't just, like, kissing up to these breweries. Like, I mean, we're not being paid by them. We enjoy, I mean, one of the reasons why we've been doing this podcast is we enjoy the atmosphere of these places. Like, we enjoy, like, coming here, having a couple beers. You know, this place has food, so they don't have dogs. A lot of them have dogs. It's like, it's just a nice feeling, and it's nice and relaxing, and, you know, gives you an opportunity to talk about politics without it, you know, while you've got something to just kind of, like, take the edge off a little bit. Make the conversation flow a little more fluidly. And occasionally see some dogs. Possibly make a few words harder to pronounce than they otherwise would be. But, you know, that's okay. We work Exactly.
1: That's why we go for the hard words in the first segment. Right. Zelensky. Z- Volodymyr Zelensky. <laughs> Full disclosure, my ethnic background is Ukrainian. So,
0: Oh, well, there you go. So now you know his bias. Absolutely. It's so that, I think thus, that this podcast is rigged. Yeah. <laughs> Totally rigged,
1: totally rigged. So I think that's all we should cover right
0: now. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty good. Uh, good. I I hope you had a really long commute. A whole bunch of other things that are happening, but you know, impeachment is the forefront of the news, and I think we covered it pretty well. I'm sure there's things we missed, but you know, we've got next week where I'm sure there's going to be a whole bunch more coming out. So is there
1: a chance we'd have a midweek surprise session? Well, you know.
0: I, actually, that occurred to me this week when all this stuff came out of us doing like a, just a quick like remote like ten minute kind of thing. Yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I feel like I want to be a little optimistic and plan for like, well, what happens if like like we get impeachment and it gets to the Senate? Like, what? if, what if he actually got convicted? Like, what would we? What would we do with that? I mean, we would have to interrupt whatever the hell's going on yeah, and, exactly. and, 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 and meet and record and celebrate. And, and, and talk
1: about the impeachment of Mike Pence. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I- and the rise of President Pelosi. Eh, okay. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, we'll see, though. But anyhow, that's that's all we know this week. It's more than we know. That is more than we know. <laughs> Thanks for
1: joining us. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope we've made things a little easier to digest, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.